Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast, a show dedicated to the storytelling that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. Each episode is designed to inspire new ways and ideas to make your business better as we speak with the brightest minds in recruitment and HR tech. That's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup. You're listening to the Recruiting, excuse me, the Use Case Podcast brought to you by Recruiting Daily. And uh, we're going to be talking with Madhu from Beyond HQ, all about his firm and the use case for uh, Beyond HQ. So without any further ado, Madhu, do us a favor and introduce both yourself and introduce uh, Beyond HQ. Absolutely. Thank you very much, William. Thank you for the opportunity. It's an incredible audience and incredible. um, I was just reading about uh, some of your past interviews. So pleasure to be in such, uh, such good company. Uh, so just a little bit about myself. I am uh, uh, an engineer by training, uh, math and computer science. Um, and then uh, it's funny because uh, our company is about helping companies build distributed teams. And uh, mm-hmm. I joke about the fact that my entire family and my entire life has been a part of a distributed team. I grew up in a bunch of different countries. Uh, and then in India, my family lived in Saudi Arabia, Ireland, Canada, uh, the Caribbean, and then the U.S. And uh, so it's kind of what I've been living all my life, and we're now building software to help other companies do the same. Um, uh, I spent the last uh, 15 years essentially in B2B software um, in, in, in the tech startup world, either as an early employee or part of the founding team, and uh, started Beyond HQ uh, basically two years ago, um, when looking at two trends, one being the increasing challenges that companies on the coasts um, were facing in terms of talent retention and rising costs of real estate and uh, shrinking tenures. Um, uh, that was sort of starting to be so prominent that uh, I remember talking to a number of venture capitalists in the Bay Area in New York, and they were starting to guide their entire portfolio um, saying, hey, stop hiring uh, here, go hire in Austin, go hire in Denver, go hire anywhere else. And you really want to think about a more distributed footprint. And so that was something that both I heard from the market of the you know tech industry and also personally experienced it having spun up teams um, across the country and in South America and, and globally. So while that was happening, the second trend that made me think about Beyond HQ was Amazon's HQ2 process that uh, essentially opened the eyes of the entire country, if not the entire world, to many other pockets of, uh, or ecosystems of talent um, to, to support a company like Amazon. So putting those two together, my thought was, hey, how can we build a data-driven approach for helping companies evaluate and scale the right distributed workforce footprint? And that's kind of led to creating Beyond HQ. So in a simple sentence, we are building a uh, scenario planning tool that helps uh, talent and uh, to a certain extent, real estate and finance teams and other decision makers in the organization uh, evaluate the right markets and uh, figure out where and why to scale their workforce. No, I was was just thinking of what we've learned with COVID, right? So March 13th, everyone's got to (laughs) go. Yeah. Every, everyone's got to go home. Everyone's got to work from home, remote work. Um, you know, 
companies were struggling on some level with uh, the concept of remote work or telework or or work from home. And uh, it's, it's really interesting to see kind of on the other end of that now companies wanting, you know, people to come back to an office. So I think I'm, I'm fascinated by the hybrid work model of kind of what that will look like in 2022 and beyond. Um, What did, what did you, what did you learn? As you were going, I mean, you were going through the same stuff I was going through. Or uh, what did what did, what did you learn, especially about distributed teams through uh, through the COVID experience? Yep, absolutely, great great question. So um, to just kind of lay the groundwork for, from a chronology standpoint, right? If you think pre-COVID, and you look at um, remote work, there was an increasingly strong narrative for tech startups, larger enterprises as well on, hey, this remote work needs to be taken seriously. We should offer that as a benefit to employees, et cetera. So you might agree that there is some growing conversation about being remote, at least in some industries, if not all industries, right? And like exactly what you said, COVID is kind of this biggest forced remote work experiment that the world has ever seen, arguably. And you know, the first six or eight months, 10 months, at least until the the vaccines, we found companies to have no other option, but to just kind of do their best to be fully remote. And certain industries we found to be much more readily uh, embracing this than others, obviously, like the knowledge worker industries Mm -hmm. found it, hey, folks, everybody go home and you have a computer, you have internet connection, you have Zoom. And, you know, I I hope that uh, uh, folks uh, saw this early enough and bought some Zoom stock. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, there are certain yeah. industries. The that- Zoom thing is fascinating to me because, you know, in December of 19, the recruiters were probably sitting around figuring out their hiring plan, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to need 100 engineers. We're going to need, you know. <laughs> yep, yep. And little did they know. And uh, little did they know that yeah. that was going to all change right in front of them. As you as you mentioned, certain industries, it, what really sparks uh, some curiosity for me is is even certain going into certain job classes. Yep. Where you know distributed work. I mean, we've been we've been doing software engineering, you know, remotely yep. for a while now, uh, and some better than others. <laughs> and some experiences better than others, but it but it, but it's not a foreign concept. Right. to to uh to you know a front-end developer or back-end developer etc mm-hmm. so uh but again uh focus now you know, you go through covid and all of a sudden that director of demand gen or whatever yes. that it used to you know have to be in a cubicle next to somebody else in events or whatever they don't have to do that we all learn we've all learned the same lesson we you, you don't have to do that and you can choose to do that yep. but you you can also choose a different model um so you know the question you know as as you're looking at the data and as you're looking at some of the things that you learn is it just does it fit certain places just better for, you know right now yeah good question and what's interesting about this right is Let's divide the world into, you know, people that are, you know, desk workers. Right, 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 right. People that are, you know, non-desk workers. You would think that uh, sort of naturally this lends itself, the idea of remote work lends itself well to people that are office workers, because arguably all you need is an internet connection, so to speak. But what what um, the pandemic has done, we were finding is 
it has forced a lot of other industries to think creatively on how to make work more flexible. So take an example of a, a, a dairy farm, right? Um, or or a, a, a manufacturing plant. Both these are companies that you think of that doesn't, that, that, that where remote work doesn't naturally jump off the top of your head when you think of a dairy farm or you think about a, a manufacturing facility, right? But uh, some of the things that the dairy, one of the largest dairy co-ops in the country is doing is uh, trying to embrace flexible work schedules and then having the ability to rotate shifts around or if, if somebody at the workforce needs to take a meeting or you know, come in half the day, go to their kid's school and then go back again to work, all kinds of innovation and process is starting to be developed as a result of this kind of forced experiment. Um, similarly, with the manufacturing plant, remote overseeing of the factory floor uh, you know, uh, equipment that the person can sit, the, the, the maintenance technician or the safety supervisor can now sit at home and remotely monitor quality defects um, on a floor plant. Uh, that technology sort of existed and people were starting to embrace it, but now there's this accelerant for knowledge workers and non-knowledge workers, kind of like physical footprint industries, all of those folks have been forced to embrace a lot of this tech more aggressively. So right. it's a really fascinating um, uh, well, change. Well, well, it opens up the talent pool. So, I mean, on exactly. some level, this is mm -hmm. just a good idea because, you know, hiring a software engineer in Silicon Valley in 2018 was almost impossible. I mm -hmm. mean, quite frankly, it was, it was just almost impossible. But now when you look at the whole world and you say to yourself, well, there's great you know, great talent in, you know, in Poland yes, uh, yeah. or, or pick a place on the, on the map. But yeah, right. the, the idea is that you, you just opened your talent pool to the world and the world has now opened its talent pool to, uh, to all those jobs. So, uh, you know, again, because we've, you know, I hate it. I hate that a, a pandemic, you know, led to some of these kind of innovations. Yeah, it had to be so severe for people to, but right. it's kind of one of those impulsive things that happens, right? In society, you have this, 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 this unprecedented black swan event and it kind of sends ripple waves uh, right. of, of, of innovation. Sadly, the, the, you know, the flip side of it is, is, is positive. Um, but unfortunately it took this to think that for, 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 for these kinds of effects to happen. One other thing I'll, I'll point out, William, on the, Opening up the talent pool, that's a great observation, right? That's the right way to think about it, I believe, because there is a lot of, even if you, within the United States, there's a lot of socioeconomic implications as a result of remote work, um, mm -hmm. right? Which is, there has been traditionally this kind of migration of talent, uh, particularly in tech, uh, you know, you have to be in Silicon Valley if you want to be at one of the hot startups or work at Google or IBM or sorry, Google or Apple or, or, or you know, Netflix or Facebook. Um, but no longer is that the case now. It was already, you know, more popular to be remote anyway in tech versus other industries. But now let's say you're a, an engineer from a school in, in Iowa. Um, you don't necessarily need to decide that, hey, look, okay, I graduated, I have my degree, off I go to the Bay Area or off I go to New York. Uh, and a whole lot more jobs, not just engineers, like you said, the demand gen person, the salesperson, the marketer, uh, all of them 
there's proof now for 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 uh, being remote. Um, uh, so I think that that uh, more opportunities for more communities around the country to present themselves as a viable source of talent and a viable ecosystem for workers uh, is the case now, which is which is fantastic. And I hope that the cities are seeing it this way. Some of them are acting on it more aggressively than others, like Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Columbus, Ohio, or um, even Boise starting to be on the map much more mm-hmm. frequently. Uh, yeah, it's like people are, it's funny because, <laughs> you know, I live in Arlington, Texas, so, but I have a lake house down towards Austin. And when you talk to people that live in Austin, they're, all they do is complain about all of California moving to Austin, yeah. right? Um, but it's fascinating because people are moving to where they want to live. Like if you want to yeah. live in Sun Valley, Idaho, and that's just always been kind of your dream, yeah. um, you just move now. I mean, yeah. that's one of the things that COVID again that's taught us. Like, well, you just move. You you, can you just get- move. You work. That's exactly right. And and you know, to the point about uh, the you know folks in Austin seeing the influx of Californians, right? Uh, I'll present a another perspective that is perhaps not as common, just as food for thought uh, on that topic. There's certainly that. I mean, let's let's also acknowledge the kind of the unpleasant underbelly of this mass migration, which is you you know a bunch of Californians show up in a small town in another state. Suddenly, the real estate prices go up, and that's happening in Boise as we speak. But I'll 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 give you another perspective. This is kind of the beauty of some big trend always has a positive and a, and a challenging side to it, right? So here's another op- uh, perspective. When I went to Iowa. Uh, early days of launching Beyond HQ, um, there are a number of state schools and community colleges in Iowa. Uh, Des Moines Area Community College is an example. One of the largest in the country, probably tens of thousands of graduates. And um, a lot of them end up choosing opportunities that are only immediately visible to them versus thinking, hey, I graduated with a business degree in a community college and I should really look for an SDR job in Salesforce. And I wanna stay here. And, and, and salesforce.com on the other hand is aggressively looking for hiring people wherever they are for some of these remote sales positions. So I feel like for all the community colleges that don't get as much mind share from recruiters, corporate recruiters, now they should seize this opportunity and say, hey, look, we're not located in Silicon Valley or Chicago or New York, but we have fantastic talent you as an employer are now open to the entire country, hire from Des Moines area community college, right? So there's a lot of those kids that come out of sort of smaller schools that mm-hmm. probably don't have recognition. Yep. Now they have a much more even playing field. Than oh, ever yeah. Well, that's going to help with, uh, for the, for the HR and uh, TA folks that are listening, that's going to help with DA and uh, all your diversity and inclusion hundred uh, percent uh, initiatives. Because now instead of just recruiting from Yale, which there's nothing wrong with that, but yeah, but right. now now you're going to be open you're going to be open to a lot of different types of talent to find that out as you wish. Yep. Let me ask you. Um, I've got three uh, big questions left. One of them is more of a curiosity. What do yep. you think about? And I, and I've only talked to a couple of people about this, but fractional distributed uh, distributed work, whereas you know, let's say it's a CMO. But that CMO now goes across you know, five companies. Mm-hmm. He spends one day a week with each company. And so it's distributed, you know, in the yep. way that in the way they were thinking about it. 
yep. but it's also even more distributed because it's fractional. Yep. Um, are you are you seeing models like that, or, or companies approaching kind of talent management or a portfolio of talent like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, funny you say that because two of my very good friends launched um, fractional recruiting services. Right, they are going oh, to cool. help find you fractional CMOs, fractional CROs. Um, but that's their business and we'll take care of the payroll and you just get the fractional uh, right, right. You know, person you need. Um, and this is also a, a, a something that a lot of people are thinking of kind of getting out of their nine to five, moving mm-hmm. to the city mm-hmm. or town they'd like to, and mm-hmm. then just consulting in a fractional role this way. Yeah, it's uh, work the way you want to work. You work the way you want to work. Exactly. Work from where you want to work, how right. you want to work. How you want to work, exactly. It's the second part as well. So the uh, so when people look at Beyond a- HQ, uh, you're obviously talking to them. You're taking them through, you know, slide decks, demos, whatever, whatever the bit is. What yep. do they fa- what do they fall in love with? Yeah, um, think of our product. This will help understand kind of what is appealing about what we're building. Think of our think of Beyond HQ as sort of Zillow meets. Glassdoor or Zillow meets LinkedIn, but for cities. The irony is Zillow's CEO and Glassdoor's CEO are good friends, best friends, actually. They're both on each other's boards. So, oh, fantastic. <laughs> I, I wish I knew that I could have acted like I did. I did. Thank you for it. Now you, now you know they're yes. both of them literally your best friends and are on each That's other's fantastic. boards. Well, that, that, maybe I should pitch this vision to them as a way to get them as customers. 100%. Uh, 100%. <laughs> so, we are building a, um, uh, a comparison tool. Um, uh, for cities based on how much talent there is, how much, what, what the cost implications are and what other location specific metrics should we consider, right? Ooh, so, like this. so so imagine you are a company that uh, is just like a thousand employees and you've either because of the pandemic or otherwise have decided to build a more d- distributed footprint. And if you're 10 or 20 or 30 companies, you sorry, employees, you might say, you know what, I'm fine with people living wherever they are. It's totally okay. We can have 10 people in 10, you know, 10 time zones or four time zones or what have you. But at some point, you want to start being strategic about where your employees are, whether they're in an office or uh, fully remote, doesn't matter. But what is the implication of putting people in mm-hmm. Colorado versus Texas versus Chicago versus Poland? Right. right? Um, so if you are facing that challenge, think of Beyond HQ as a way to say, let me type in the fact that I want 50 engineers, 10 salespeople, and 30 c- customer service reps. Now show me my options. And then we spin out all the 380 some odd metro areas in the United States and the 50 markets in Canada, and we're launching global coverage next quarter. And you get to see how much diversity exists in Atlanta, how many major employers are there, mm-hmm. how many engineers are they hiring? That's, that's the supply side of talent. So, so you're essentially giving people some visibility and insight into here's the supply side of talent in this particular area. And the demand side in the sense that we give mm-hmm. you of all the engineers and salespeople and customer service you're looking for, who are the major employers of those specific roles in that particular market. So right. you know who you might be going to compete with. Oh, and- I like that. You're looking for an office manager in Topeka, Kansas. How right. many of them are there? Uh, obviously, 
yeah, comp data is going to be interesting, if not now, but in the future, to then be able to know what do we pay that Oh, person. yeah, we, we give you that as well, right? So mm. we give you sort of talent, which is how many people are there? Mm-hmm. Who are they hiring? What is the uh, ethnic and racial b- breakdown of that workforce? So how many African-American engineers are in Atlanta or how many you know Hispanic sort of salespeople are in uh, this particular field in, in Topeka, Kansas. Then you go to the next screen and we say, okay, great. Now that we agree that these five cities are looking pretty good for us, now pit them against each other in terms of cost implications. What does mm-hmm. it cost for me to put a headcount of 50 in, in uh, you know Toledo versus Topeka versus Cincinnati? Give Have me you- the cost of talent, real estate, um, over a one-year period, over a five-year period, et cetera, et cetera. So that kind of modeling tool is what we're essentially enabling for HR leaders uh, and also other departments in the company. Have you gotten, uh, Madhu, have you gotten much interest on, from a completely different audience, but the EDCs, uh, Economic Development Corporations of like cities, do you, yeah. That's a great question, William. And and we did, right? We've been in touch with, um, and we continue to actually, I was just talking to somebody from uh, Missouri, uh, economic development uh, mm-hmm. so we've we've talked with uh, Louisville, uh, Tulsa, Des Moines, Minneapolis. What's interesting there is um, some of these cities and states have a very sophisticated approach to attract themselves. Right. Some of them are just waking up to the bigger opportunity that hey, That's we right. shouldn't just kind of chase the large employers. We should go after startups and get them to hire ten or fifteen or twenty or a hundred of our people and then grow the footprint here. So That's right. we're working to figure out, is there a data partnership with you? Is there a co-marketing part? We, we're trying to be transparent and completely unbiased. So we have no vested interest in sending people to Texas or you know Colorado or anywhere else, but we wanna be that kind of independent data-driven um, engine for you to make your decision. So we're kind of decision right. agnostic, but yeah. we have partnerships with these groups to make sure that we're representing the right data in the right way. I like that. So when, you know, people are going to wonder in terms of pricing and working with beyond uh, HQ, what is, what does that look like? And again, not down to the dollars and cents, but just yeah, yeah, of course. philosophy wise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just broadly speaking, two types of work um, forms that we've done right for, uh, let's say you're a hundred person company and you're looking to get guidance on where to open your next headquarters. And we come in and we run a, a sort of a consultative engagement uh, using our platform to say, what are the criteria that matter to you? And let's just craft an engagement in two weeks of a consultant's time. But the most common use case that we see is talent. It's a SaaS model. Uh, the head of talent analytics or head of HR or head of strategic planning under the real estate org or head of FP&A. These are some examples of uh, users that say, I would like access to your product. So X number of licenses, uh, we charge either as a you know a annual licensing fee plus additional support or annual licensing fee plus um, uh, account management support that covers any kind of consultative work. And the price ranges based on um, how much we're paying for three licenses or five licenses or 10 licenses or what have you. Um, it goes anywhere between sort of 30K a year uh, on the low end to 50 plus on the higher end. Uh, for unlimited ability to run all kinds of reports, disparate data sources, huge geographic coverage, 
uh, and account management and ad hoc uh, consultative support. This has been fantastic. And our time is just blown by. Madhu, I love what you're doing. Absolutely Thanks, love sir. what you're doing. I appreciate you carving out some time for our audience and uh, and coming on the Use Case Podcast, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, William. I appreciate the opportunity. Fantastic questions. And I hope uh, hope uh, this was of interest to, to the audience. Oh, so, um, it, it, if it wasn't, it was of interest to me. But <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's I'm the most important kidding. thing. So I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you. And thanks for everyone listening to the Use Case Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and hit us up at recruitingdaily.com.